I like a word that Steve used, I think, in his lesson this morning, the word remiss. So I think I'll use that tonight. Uh, pretty cool word. I don't use it much, but I would be remiss if I didn't make a couple of acknowledgments before I begin the presentation this evening. Uh, first of all, uh, for the elders and you as a congregation and your contribution uh, to the work here at this church uh, through the elders to help to finance my trip to Guyana. Also, there are some individuals who I know would prefer to remain anonymous. A couple of them have said so. Uh, who also had a part in financing my trip to Guyana. And so uh, for those and to you, I would like to express my appreciation. I have several reasons for wanting to present this uh, lesson to you tonight, not just because I was asked to and was expected to, because of the part that this congregation had in sending me down there, but just some points I would like to get across. First of all, I would like to spend some time talking about the people who accompanied me, or I guess I should say whom I accompanied on this trip, since I was uh, one of two rookies in this work. Uh, the, those people that I met, and I had never met any of them but one, that was Brother Jerry Davidson, who has visited with us before, uh, until... I met them in Miami, and uh, all of those people just about have had great hardships, difficulties, and some things that have occurred uh, in their lives, uh, some of them just by reason of the age that they've attained. And I was amazed at what these people were able to accomplish uh, despite some difficulties that they had to overcome. I would also like to relay the uh, events that occurred, some of them, and the work that was accomplished while we were down there uh, during that two weeks back in the month of March. Uh, I had over 500 pictures. I did not take these pictures, maybe one or two. I used somebody else's camera, uh, but I did take some pictures, but uh, all, as I said, except for about one or two, or none of this is, is my uh, uh, photography on this, and so I put together these things that uh, were already done for me. If you want to know a lot about Guyana, uh, you won't learn it tonight much because uh, I just don't have time to present a lot of facts about that country. Uh, I will just say a few things. You can uh, Google Guyana. Some people said, is that in Africa? Well, no, that's uh, Ghana, and then there's uh, French Guiana is also in South America uh, near Guyana. But just a few facts, <clears throat> and I'm going to have to sort of rush through here. It's in South America on the northeast coast of South America, the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. The Western Hemisphere is basically North and South America. I was asked a time or two about uh, suffering jet lag on the way back. Well, no, I didn't, even though the trip was, uh, took me about 3,000 miles away. It was pretty much south, uh, south and east a little bit, and there was only one hour time difference. And so uh, when you only have an hour's difference, you don't really uh, suffer any jet lag because you're just about on the same time when you get back as you were when you uh, left. You, the only thing I really knew about Guyana was that about uh, Jim Jones, 
and the cult that he was a leader of back in the 70s, and they went to Guyana and established a place called Jonestown. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, when they ran into some uh, challenges to what they were doing down there because some people were suspected of being abused, uh, they uh, committed suicide, mass suicide, hundreds of them, uh, by a gunshot and by taking cyanide poisoning. I didn't want to start with such a happy thought, but you, you might want to follow that up sometime. Uh, the capital city is Georgetown. It's on the coast. Uh, about 83,000 square miles for Guyana. That's about twice the size of the state of Tennessee. And yet the population, if you take the population of Davidson County, where Nashville is, and Rutherford County, where Murfreesboro is, and put those together, you have about 750,000 people or so. That is the entire population of the country of Guyana. And so, obviously, the people are real spread out, except for along the uh, coast. Uh, about 80% literacy rate, which is pretty good for such a, a poor country. That they speak English. Now, the, the people that we targeted in our work uh, are called Amerindians. You can tell that comes from American Indians. And they have their own tribal dialect, but some of those dialects are, are apparently are dying out because I asked a young girl if she spoke one of the dialects, and she said, well, I studied in school. So it was not anything that came real natural but some of the older ones, uh, they speak that and speak uh, English also. So I flew out of Nashville Airport about 6 o'clock on Monday, March the 12th, met rest of the rest of the U.S. team in Miami, went by Caribbean Airlines to Georgetown. Uh, at Georgetown, we loaded most of our luggage and supplies on a truck to be taken about 300 miles south and west a little bit to a uh, town called Lethem. Uh, Lethem has a population of about uh, 3,000 uh, people. We flew on a single-engine prop plane. I was a little bit worried when I boarded because I looked down at the floorboard and it was wood and looked like some of it was starting to rot out. A small uh, plane seated about 15 people. Uh, didn't see a stewardess bringing snacks or anything. The aisle that she would have had to walk down was about like that anyway. But, but. Uh, I noted something about the condition of the plane, and somebody that had been on the trip before said, oh, I saw one that had duct tape on one of the wings as we were flying along. So that, I didn't feel real great about that. But uh, I will talk about the people who were on the trip. You might have met Jerry or seen him when he was here. He's the one on the left side. Uh, Jerry Davidson, he was the leader. He's been working in Guyana uh, for many, many years, not as long as Harold Cook has been going down there, but... but uh, Jerry's been, I guess, maybe 25 or 30 years anyway. Uh, Jerry is in his, I'm telling some personal information about these people, but uh, I'm, I don't think any of them would mind. Uh, he's about uh, in his late 60s. Jerry has Parkinson's disease. He is also uh, hard of hearing a little bit, but he's made many trips down there. He works under the Somerdale Congregation and the oversight of their elders in Somerdale, Alabama. On the right, you'll see Reed Brown. Uh, he is a preacher. He also is in the landscaping business. He preaches for the uh, county line congregation in Alabama. That was his first trip uh, to Guyana also. Uh, 22 years old, and I don't have anything that I know about him that are real hardships to overcome, except uh, he is engaged to be married real soon, so uh, he, he might have some hardships in the future. Nice young man, though. His father is a full-blooded Australian. 
Here's Jerry again, and uh, to our right is uh, David Hagler. David also lives in Alabama and is a member of that uh, Somerdale congregation. He was in the Navy uh, in California years ago. Uh, he uh, hung out in the Haight-Ashbury district while he was in the Navy for about four years uh, of San Francisco. And if uh, you're old enough to remember, you know that that was the center of the hippie culture. And he got involved in some of the activities there. And I actually called him the other night and asked him if he minded if I told some of this information he had relayed to me. And he said, he said whatever I told you is fair game. So uh, I would tell you that uh, he got involved in a gang. He was a gang member for four years. I'm not going to go into any of the details of some of the things he told me about his activities there, but, but uh, you can see that uh, the gospel and his wife, as he reminded us, had a lot to do with straightening his life out. He is a recovering alcoholic, and, but was a tireless worker on our trip to Guyana. This lady is Jennifer Gondos. She's about, uh, well, she is 60 years old. She's the one that took most of the pictures that are on these slides. Um, about two years ago, uh, she walked in her house to find her husband dead. I'm not going to go into all the circumstances surrounding that, but a lot of people would have gone into a shell after that. And, uh, but, I mean, she went around with a smile on her face just like you see her right there. Uh, very, uh, she lives in uh, San Antonio, Texas, doesn't have any children, so pretty much, I guess, left by herself when her uh, husband died. Next, we have James Pendley. Uh, he's standing on the top of a pickup truck trying to put boards across there to carry some of our uh, luggage, and she took a picture of him as he was uh, working on the top of the truck. Uh, he works for the Alabama State Highway Department. Fourteen years ago, his wife was involved in a wreck. Somebody, I believe it was a hit and run, hit her head on, and she suffered a very severe head injury. He said she has never gotten over the effects of that. Uh, she doesn't really have a, what we might consider a regular job, but he says she does uh, work around their church building down there. A little missionary humor a termite mound, the one on your left. That's a medium-sized one. I, I did not want to leave Guyana without having my picture taken with a termite mound. Somebody told me that some, someone ran into one of those things in a vehicle and it tore the vehicle up and didn't hurt the termite mound. So I don't know what they stick those together, termite slobber or something, I guess, but uh, pretty sturdy things. Uh, this right here is Gene and Carolyn Johnson. Uh, I, I don't know of any particular hardship. He's a retired uh, Christian school administrator. The school he, he was uh, over was in East Tennessee. But I will say this, they are both 77 years old. And she was kidding me and Reed, the 22-year-old, about being the youngsters on that trip. And I thought, well, you know, 70, that's not all that young. She said, well, it is to me. So uh, anyway, to see her and him with backpacks on trudging around in Guyana uh, made me feel ashamed of the fact that sometimes uh, 
I don't do all I can for the Lord. This is Hazel Rance. She is also a member of uh, Jerry's congregation in Somerdale, Alabama. She's 75 years old. Her husband ran off and left her many years ago with six children, uh, left to raise them by herself. And yet she, uh, you know, a lot of us, we had things like that in our lives. Uh, we just would say, well, I just can't do what you're talking about doing. And I'm not here to say that everybody ought to uh, go on a mission trip to South America or Africa or anything, but the whole world is a mission place. And so uh, it, it just, this was one of the things I wanted to, to say and to show that, that we can all do a whole lot more than what we think that we are able to do. For that reason, that's why I wanted to tell you about uh, some personal things about these people. When we arrived in uh, Georgetown, Guyana, we played in a state place called stayed in a place called the Windjammer Hotel in in uh, Georgetown. That sign looks that's about the best looking part of that place. I was able to I was able to uh, talk to Marsha by cell phone. When we got way down in the interior. Uh, it was no cell phone service, but there were uh, satellite hookups that we were able to communicate a little bit with. But, but I, I told her, I said, you imagine the worst Motel 6. If you stay in Motel 6, you know, that's fine. But I said, you imagine the worst Motel 6 that you can imagine. And this was about ten times uh, worse than that. Um, three of us in a little bitty room, uh, smaller than a lot of these classrooms here, I guess. And, uh, no air conditioning and uh, those kinds of things. Uh, there, was, there were air conditioners, but no air conditioning for a while. In fact, I would like to just read a little bit what I uh, wrote in my journal that I kept uh, for, on one of the days. And this is not a journal in the truest sense because uh, after uh, looking at my notes and I added some things from memory and so forth, uh, I put this, we arrived in Georgetown, Guyana about 7 p.m. That was on Monday evening. The 12th mission team from the U.S. consisted of them, and I have all their names. Uh, we stayed at the Windjammer Hotel. There were noisy dogs and a noisy rooster very close by. No hot water, no air conditioning. Uh, room with Jerry and David. Uh, Jerry saw me brushing my teeth using water out of the sink and told me not to ever do that again. So that was kind of uh, a portent of things to come. And so... Uh, that kind of gives you an idea of, of uh, what, some of the kind of things we faced. Uh, the team, let me think of another. Yeah, right there, there's some of the entire mission team. Not every one of them. You see, can see us uh, U.S. Caucasians there, some people of uh, African descent, and some people of uh, Amerindian descent, the American Indian people. Um, they were really, most of them, really old hands at this, and I depended a great deal on them. Uh, the pictures will uh, illustrate a type of, of landscape called the savanna. That's where the uh, village that we intended to spend the, almost the entire two weeks working uh, is in the savanna, and rather than describe it, you'll just see the pictures of it. Uh, there's savannas in Africa, in our country, <coughs> uh, Asia and so forth, but uh, the pictures you see will kind of give you an idea of that. Anyway, from Le uh, Georgetown, we flew to Lethem, the city I told you about, about 300 miles away. 
we stayed on Tuesday night in the uh, Takatu Hotel. There's the sign for it. Uh, had a little bit better accommodations, even though it was 300 miles away from the capital. And when I say the capital, don't get an idea that you got big, tall buildings and uh, like Nashville or even Murfreesboro, anything like that. Most of the part is we drove through it would look pretty much like slums uh, to me. Very, as I said, second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, we got there uh, on, uh, by flying down there, and all of our luggage was taken on a truck. But we uh, went to the Lethem uh, Church building after this, and I'll have a, a uh, picture of that in a moment here. But uh, we left Lethem, where this hotel was, uh, to go 100 miles south to the city of Crowder. Now, that's in a sort of a, it's actually called Crowder now, but everybody referred to it as, as Crowder. It was 100 miles south from the city of Lethem or the town of Lethem. It took us six and a half hours to go 100 miles. There's no Church of Christ, or there was none, in uh, Crowder at that time. We had reserved a pavilion, a, a sort of like a community center uh, building, through March 22nd for our base camp uh, while we were in Crowder. And we had planned to stay there all through that next weekend and on to uh, Thursday, March 22nd. But uh, as I'll get to, things didn't quite uh, work out that way. Uh, as I said, you can't really depend on water. You can't really depend on electricity. If you have water, you can't depend on having uh, hot water. Um, but we got to just where we were saying when we run into difficulty, well, uh, that's Guyana. And I, I just never felt like complaining about any hardships because I looked around and saw the people that I was with and people several years older than, than uh, I am, and they didn't complain. And this was, for some of them, several trips that they had, had made. Uh, by the way, while we were in Lethem, where this uh, hotel is, we had some of our meals at a place called Chicken on a Stick. And I'll let you think about that. No, actually, it wasn't. A, it, it was not bad really. Um, there's the, uh, not far from our hotel was the uh, church building there. It says St. Ignatius. That's an area around there. Lethem Church of Christ. And this was really where we operated out of for most of the trip. There's part of that. Uh, that there's the uh, actual church building uh, in the back there and those other buildings are used for various uh, purposes. The interior of the buildings really nice. You might say, well, that's just a, a really nice building. And a lot of those church buildings uh, down there uh, have been provided through donations and so forth, and, and they do have some, some fairly nice structures for their uh, church uh, buildings. There's a two-and-a-half-ton truck, military two-and-a-half-ton truck. I guess it was U.S. Army surplus or something. When I was in the Army, we called those two-and-a-half. We called them deuce-and-a-half. And I spent some time when I was in the service many years ago riding around in the back of one of those. And that was our main transportation, 100 miles. They got all the supplies and luggage in the front of it. And then a few of us were able to ride in the uh, back of it. We also used this Toyota Tundra. And some people rode in the back of that. And it, both of these were loaded down uh, pretty heavily. There's the deuce and a half being worked on. Uh, it had some suspension trouble before we left, and they had to replace 
uh, a bushing in a spring or something like that. Uh, but we got on it anyway and uh, drove that 100 miles. There is on the way, stop for a rest stop there. Uh, some of us in the back of uh, the deuce and a half and then others in the back of the Toyota Tundra. Luxury transportation. We were crammed in there like sardines. And the roads, some of the pictures of the roads, they look a whole lot smoother than they really were. I mean, it was just constant vibration. It got for a while where it was when they would take that tarp off the top, it was more comfortable to stand up and hold on than it was to try to uh, sit down. We had to wear a dust mask because that was in the dry season. Uh, I got uh, prophylaxis pills to keep from getting malaria, but I probably saw no more than about four mosquitoes during the dry season. The mosquitoes just aren't that uh, prevalent, but it is very dusty, and so we uh, wore it just like a, a doctor or something would wear a mask over his face. Uh, we had to use, in the hotels, they had mosquito nets for us, but uh, we really didn't need those very much. Uh, Brother Jerry was driving that truck. He came across a bridge that you can't see right back there behind the truck, and I said he will never get up that uh, little hill right there. And he was trying to go back and forth and get around it, but he got his uh, the Toyota Tundra stuck right there. Had to attach a strap to it and pull it out with the uh, with the other truck. That's the guy on the interstate. Uh, by the way, you see that motorcycle a couple of the guys were on, and uh, that picture was taken out from, from the back of that uh, uh, two-and-a-half ton, and uh, you can tell it's tilted a little bit, but you can imagine, and, and as I said, the roads are, are a whole lot bumpier than they might look in some of these pictures. Uh, I guess that was Jennifer trying to take a picture and keep it straight, but it, it's tilted somewhat. But on the, those were little Honda 125cc motorcycles. I, uh, they're not even allowed to be sold in this country uh, in some places. I know in Alabama they told me they were illegal to sell them. For one thing, because they're so slow, if they get on the interstate, they would hold up traffic. But there's two guys on a, on a little Honda 125. And the preacher school down there, that, I might not have mentioned this, but at the church building there, they also have a preacher school. And several of the guys on the trip were preacher school students. And they had several motorcycles like that. And uh, the reason that everybody drives the 125s is that they're so small that they don't have to buy license plates for them. Uh, so uh, there's, uh, that's one of the main forms of transportation if somebody could afford to buy motorized, a motorized vehicle. Uh, but uh, one of the problems with it, if they had, you know, eight or ten of those things, then uh, if one of them broke down, uh, instead of repairing it, the student that was on it when it broke would just lay it aside and pick up another one and go off somewhere on it, and so uh, the maintenance was not real uh, great on those. Here's a picture of David Hagler with his mask trying to keep the dust out. There's uh, one of the motorcycles had a flat tire, and a guy came uh, driving down the road, total stranger. Uh, he wasn't any stranger than we were. I guess we were the strangers down there, but he had a brand new inner tube. Uh, they're, those are not tubeless tires on those things, and gave us an inner tube for that thing, and they put the inner tube on and started down the road, and it went flat. I think it had a gravel or something in the tire that caused that inner tube to go flat, but uh, I wanted you right here to uh, read a little bit. I mean, I wanted me to read a little bit to you 
Uh, well, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Uh, Brother Leonard asked me out front if I was nervous. I said, well, yeah, I am because I can talk and I can punch buttons, but I can't talk and punch buttons very well. There I am at the back of the... They really weren't driving off trying to leave me, but uh, I remember getting down off of one of those things and the step was bigger than I thought it was going to be getting off the back of that truck and fell flat on my back. When we finally arrived after six and a half hours of that kind of travel uh, at the uh, stadium... Uh, I mean, at the city of Crowdar, the town, the village of Crowdar, uh, that was where we were going to conduct our services. You see that thatched roof, that's what most of the structures have, is uh, thatched roofs like that. Uh, they're very, very crude when you get out into the uh, back country. Uh, I wanted to read this part out of my journal, though. The two-and-a-half-ton arrived in Crowdar about 7.10 p.m. after a 100-mile trip that took six-and-a-half hours. We set up tents in and around the community center. There's the community center, and that uh, second one from the right, uh, I keep wanting to point at this thing and think you can see my finger up here, but, but uh, that one with the white and the red top, that was my tent. I wrote this at the time. I got up about 4 a.m. to organize my tent. This was on Thursday, March 15th. I lay back down at about 5.30 after getting dressed. I bathed and shaved using a bucket of water. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about the bathroom facilities. Breakfast consisted of eggs, grits, cooked Vienna sausage, etc. The cooks did a fantastic job considering the circumstances. Most or all of the citizens here are either Catholics or members of the Christian Brethren denomination. About nine, now here's where it really got kind of irritating. About 9.50, I heard after devotional that the local council has decided that we must leave Crowdar this Sunday, March 18th, which would be tragic. Jerry is going to try to appeal this decision so that we can have next uh, Thursday, the 22nd, as our last day since that was the original plan. This was the first day of campaigning, and we talked to several prospects. Mostly, I mostly just listened as Brother Winston Clinton did the talking. He was to follow up with a lady named Catherine at 10 o'clock on Friday and also with someone named Cosmo Sam and his girlfriend Elaine. They seemed very receptive. I also worked with Philip Duncan and Glenn Brown during the campaign. Uh, Jennifer is to teach the children tonight. I hope to give away some of the stuffed bears that had been made by the ladies of the Bobby Branch uh, congregation. Uh, there's the interior of that with a couple of the ladies who cooked for us. Uh, the set-up kitchen facilities. They had to carry the two stoves around with us with uh, gas tanks for them, and uh, some of the tents were set up on the inside. There's some of our supplies there. Uh, in that city of Crowder, or Crowder now, uh, this is the primary school. People don't have much. They have very little, but uh, they dress nicely for school. They have a certain age through 16, I think, that they have to go to school, and and the schools, I thought, were pretty nice. And there's the children on the, uh, in whatever village we were in, they were wearing those green and white uh, uniforms. The lady on the left is named Indrani, Indrani John. Her husband is a preacher. Uh, the lady on the right is Violet. Uh, she was the head cook. One of those ladies in the back, I think the one in the yellow dress, I don't know what her real name was, but everybody called her baby. Uh, but they did a fantastic job of... Uh, of taking care of us as far as food is concerned. A night service at the stadium while we were there in the crowd are. 
Here's four of the workers. Uh, there's uh, one of the uh, uh, Reed Brown, uh, one of the members from the U.S. there in the red and white shirt, and then some of the Guyanese brethren there. Uh, here's some typical village I'm, uh, uh, buildings in the village. I'm going to have to go really fast through the rest of this and without much uh, comment. And a, a lot of these, I don't even have notes beside the title because they don't really need a lot of comment. Uh, the congregation in uh, Nashville, I think it's the Charlotte Avenue congregation, they made dresses for little girls out of pillowcases, and they gave out a bunch of those. Uh, there's a Bobby Branch bear. The bears were a big hit. There's an elderly gentleman uh, that was baptized while we were in Crowdar. Uh, there's Ken Muhammad. Uh, he is from Trinidad. He and Jerry and a host of uh, campaign guests, it says, that have come to hear the gospel. There's James. Uh, James uh, is, uh, as I said, a highway department worker in Alabama, and his congregation also uh, made bears. And that little girl right there is Andrani's daughter, the lady that I said who was the uh, wife of one of the preachers, Andrani John. Her husband's name is Derek John. Uh, Jennifer, somebody took that picture of three of us uh, out there walking around in the village. Since there's so few people in so big a country, everything is really spread out when you get away from the coast. The savannah, you can see it's almost treeless, but it is in the highlands, and you can see the uh, mountains in the background. We didn't, for the most part, didn't get real uh, too close to the mountains. There's Glenn Brown, one of the men that I worked with a lot, uh, teaching this little girl. She was baptized. Bible study under a tree. Uh, that uh, tree there is probably a mango tree. They were everywhere. The people are very, very poor. Uh, they don't have much of anything. Uh, except a lot of food to eat because they farm. There's plenty of places to uh, farm. Uh, and the mangoes are growing everywhere. There's banana trees, coconut trees, and uh, they grow things. Uh, and it's kind of like, uh, I don't want to say communism, but it, nobody really owns the property there. It, it's kind of like a giant Indian reservation, and the, the, everybody is just free to go out there and use the animals and the land as they see fit. Toys, I did not see many toys. I guess I saw these things. I made this one. This is a kite that a lot of the kids played with. Uh, that was, uh, there's a thread tied on the end of this that I'm standing on. But uh, the wind blows really hard down there. And they, I looked at the kites that they made them. I, I, don't, guess, I don't know what kind of bags they had. Uh, we've got Walmart bags and all that kind of stuff. But they had plastic strips that they would tie together puts a couple of sticks on a piece of notebook paper and run along in the wind and try to get these things to fly. That was uh, the main toy that I saw. I did see the head off of a Barbie doll or something like a Barbie doll. Uh, I saw a couple of boys at a village store, uh, maybe with uh, some toy cars. And then one child had a hoop that had been cut out of part of a bicycle tire that they rolled along, and that's, that's what they played with. They had to just come up with it themselves. They, they weren't people who were hungry, but a lot of food was just about all that they really had. Uh, no cars or anything like that out in the villages. 
few motorcycles you'd see and bicycles. There's Brother Jerry uh, teaching a girl back in the pavilion. There's myself and Brother Ken Muhammad uh, studying with that lady. That lady was, I think, a, a former uh, kindergarten teacher, very, very articulate. She had been encouraged by some of her fellow villagers. This is not in the same town where uh, all those other pictures were, but uh, she uh, uh, said something about those bears. I gave that child one of the bears, and she said, I said, these were made by the ladies at my congregation back in the station. She said, well, you tell those ladies that bears aren't pink. We try to teach these children that bears are brown, and, and uh, <laughs> we had messed all of that up. Uh, this is in another village. Uh, we had to, had to, as I said, we kind of run out of crowd art and went to different places. But uh, this is in one of the other villages, uh, Winston Clinton uh, teaching this girl. She was an exchange teacher, actually, from another village down along a river. I don't know where the village was or where the river was, but that she came there to uh, teach in the school at that particular place. Some, I got some pictures of some baptisms. Um, Brother Philip Duncan that I worked with uh, quite a bit uh, for two or three days uh, baptizing. Baptizing a little girl that you saw a picture of earlier. Uh, Brother Glenn, Brother Philip, and Brother Winston. Uh, those are their first names. Uh, Glenn Brown, uh, Philip Duncan, and Winston Clinton. And a couple of new converts. There's David, Jerry, that man in the middle is uh, Brother Sunil. He's from Georgetown. He's a businessman. He owned a lot of the uh, uh, vehicles that we traveled around in, and he leased vehicles out. I believe that's Brother Glenn baptizing. Jerry and a girl who had been baptized. Another baptism. You notice that it was the Guyanese people who were doing most of this uh, work and teaching. A couple of uh, ladies who had just come up out of the waters. This was back in uh, in uh, Crowdhar, in front of the stadium there, and this we gave out baptismal certificates uh, to the people who had been baptized. Also gave them Bibles. There's the children in crowd are in Bible class at night when we were having the services in the stadium. This is a picture of people and horses. They were giving out some of the pillowcase dresses. Spell checker tried to get me to not put ain't on there, but I did. This man right here is a very interesting fellow. Uh, his name is Darmendra. I don't remember his last name, but there was a rainbow there, and somebody said, why don't you take a picture of a rainbow? So Jennifer took that picture. Uh, this man uh, lost an arm due to an injury, and gangrene set in, and he had to have his, have, had to have his uh, arm uh, amputated. And I, I know he wouldn't mind me saying this, and, and, and uh, so you'll have to understand that, but... He started calling me Judge Joe Brown. If you watch TV in the afternoon and Channel 30, you know about Judge Joe Brown. So he started calling me Judge Joe Brown. So I told Ken Muhammad, that, whose pictures you saw earlier, that I said, uh, Darmendra calls me Judge Joe Brown. He said, well, we call him the one-armed bandit. <laughs> he didn't seem to care. So I, I didn't call him that myself. 
He's kind of big. He could have whooped me with that one arm. Uh, when we were uh, had to leave the village of Crowdar, and I know that a lot of the details I'm just having to skim over, and uh, there's uh, the motorcycles. And the, uh, uh, not everybody that's sitting on a motorcycle actually drove them uh, uh, back. They like to sit on motorcycles, I guess. But anyway, uh, that was part of our transportation. We had to go to a town called Ishalton, where there was a Church of Christ. Uh, after having to leave Crowdar early, thought we were going to be able to go there. Uh, the head guy called the Tushal, like the mayor of the village, uh, didn't want us to stay there, told us we couldn't go door to door and all that kind of stuff. So so well, if we can't do that, there's no sense in us trying to campaign because uh, that's what we do is go door to door. Uh, but then we all had got had some of our stuff unloaded, and then we had to load it all back up and take off and go back up north 100 miles to let them on those uh, trucks. But but uh, James Penley, the guy that I said was the highway department worker in the state of Alabama, he decided that he was going to stay there anyway, and he and two or three of the Guyanese brethren kept a couple of motorcycles back and stayed there. And we had baptized, I say we, the brethren had baptized 10 in Crowdhar, that first village. They stayed there and baptized eight more in spite of uh, the hostility that was there, uh, not wanting us to, uh, to uh, stay, not wanting us to be able to do any work. And uh, so they, uh, I thought that was very courageous of them to, to do what they did. I've got a picture of the police station there just to show you we all had to go in the police station and register and tell them what we were doing and all this kind of stuff. Uh, we went back to uh, Lethem uh, where our hotel was and we thought we'll just stay there and go out into some of the villages that already had congregations and just uh, visit them and encourage them. Uh, by this time there were 18 baptisms while we were out visiting these various villages. This is called Parikawara now. Uh, that was in front of their uh, clinic. Uh, there were two more baptisms then. Uh, this is the Nappy Church of Christ building. Uh, this was one I couldn't make out what the uh, name of it was, and so, you know, trying to do stuff from memory, uh, I couldn't really tell you the name of it. There's a place called Moco Moco. Uh, we were donated uh, to some of these villages. Well, in this particular one, some medical supplies. Uh, in one of those five villages that we visited when we got back to Lethem, uh, we donated school supplies. And then at the end of the trip, we got back on a, I, I couldn't really tell which plane this was, the one going from Georgetown or to Georgetown. I think it was the one going back because it looks a lot nicer. It was a brand new airplane, still real small, but uh, there's uh, Jennifer and uh, Brother Ken Muhammad there and the rest of us on in the back. And there's another picture that somebody took. I think that was probably a little bit confusing to you because I found myself having to hurry so much. I got 70 slides out of over, eight, uh, over 600, 500 and something rather. And so let me just uh, real quickly extend the invitation. Jesus and Martha were having a conversation after, uh, the, concerning the death of Lazarus. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth 
and believeth on me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I have believed that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, even he that cometh into the world. On another occasion, Jesus told some people, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for except ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Faith in Christ is required for a person to be saved. Repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Paul wrote, Godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation, a repentance which bringeth no regret, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. One thing I think is not made clear enough, often enough, is that repentance is something that takes place in a person's mind. It's their whole attitude changes about the sins that they've committed. Uh, the godly sorrow leads to repentance, and the repentance is what leads to the change in a person's activities. The, the repentance is not the actual change itself, but it leads to it. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul also wrote, Because if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord, and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And Christ himself said, If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. If you fail to confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Are ye ignorant that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. Those scriptures are aimed at a person who is not a Christian. And there are some in the audience tonight who are not Christians. I know that in an audience this size. And I know many of you. And I know there are some who are not Christians. But for uh, one who is and has made mistakes, committed sin, 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 say this, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse us from our sins, but we must repent and we must confess our sins in order for that to occur. So this evening, if you have a need to either uh, in the matter of becoming a Christian or in the matter of acknowledging wrong in your life, uh, don't let an opportunity pass by again. You've let so many go by up to this point. Uh, take care of, of these things if you have that need while we stand and sing this invitation song.